If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. Uh, I apologize right now if you hear any sort of bird noises. Um, I feel like I'm in that movie, The Birds, right now. There's a whole bunch of birds on my patio in there. Get in, because I think I riled them up and they have, like, baby birds outside. So they're being a little protective right now. So if you hear a lot of bird chirping, um, then that's what it is. Also, if you hear any snoring, it's my... Uh, co-host Winnie, as always, snoring away. Uh, so, lot to get to today. A couple announcements right off the bat. Uh, if you want to pick up the new shirt, Progressive Policies. If Progressive Policies worked, California would be a Utopia shirt. You can check it out below. Uh, also, it comes in different things. It comes in a t-shirt. It comes in a hoodie. It comes in a women's tank top. It comes in a crop top hoodie. Uh, it comes in a whole different bunch of options and different colors and stuff like that. So, you can check it out. Um, and like I always say, any of the products, any of the sales from that go 100% back to supporting this platform and uh, growing the platform, making it better, getting better uh, equipment and just growing it. Um, and if you think that's worth it, then I truly appreciate all of your support. Um, tomorrow night is going to be a rescheduling of last week. Uh, if you don't remember last week, uh, Angela McArdle is supposed to be on. She's going to be on tomorrow night. She is the chair of the Libertarian Party, not like the chair of just the Los Angeles. She was the chair of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party. Now she is the chair of the entire country. I mean, the whole National Libertarian Party. Uh, we can talk about the Mises Caucus, what they've done, how they kind of took over their party, which I think is really like a good story to learn how... Uh, there was a group that got together and said, we don't like what our party is doing, and therefore we're going to just take over the party, and we're just going to change it, and we're going to send it in a different direction. So um, really incredible story there, and we're going to talk about where the Libertarian Party is going to go from there. She'll be on tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on YouTube, as always. Um, any other announcements? Got a whole bunch of other shows in the pipeline that are coming up. It's going to get busy. Uh, election, now that the primaries are behind us. We're going to talk a little bit about the primaries because last week I sort of did that whole live already and kind of gave you my thoughts, but I'll definitely leave open uh, time for questions and comments and all that stuff about the primaries as we've kind of given it a week. And even a week later, you're starting to see some things change, which... Uh, you know, vote by mail is obviously favoring one particular side, which is not surprising. It always seems to favor one particular side uh, and definitely does not in, in, engender or, or embolden a lot of people to think that a lot of this stuff is really, um, you know, if, if vote by mail was a little bit more even in terms of who ends up with all the votes, maybe more people would trust in it, but not a lot of people do. And I can understand why after some of this news. Uh, so, with that, we're going to talk a little bit about the primaries. We're going to talk about an article from The Atlantic uh, written by someone who was a lifelong San Francisco, uh, San Franciscan, moved out, and she wrote a whole big Atlantic article on what the heck is going on in San Francisco and why people are kind of pushing back on that. So without further ado, I don't think I have any more announcements for today. Let's get right into it. Uh, a couple of news stories I want to hop into that uh, I think are just interesting. Uh, this is one I saw today from the Los Angeles Daily News. Farrar to LA County residents wear a mask indoors before it's mandatory all over again. So if you thought it was over in California, it doesn't look like it, especially in LA County. doesn't look like you're getting out of the woods quite yet. Uh, article says, this may not be a pandemic that ends, County Supervisor Sheila Cool said. It may be simply continue to shift and change and we will live with it one way or another primarily by vaccination and probably masking. But I think people really want to think the whole thing is over, and that's not helpful to the numbers. Supervisor Catherine Barger echoed that sentiment, saying that the county should make it clear to businesses that they have the right to require workers and customers to wear masks. Quote, businesses can require that in order to combine, come into my establishment, we want you to wear a mask, she said. County Public Health Director Barbara Farrar said that if the rate of COVID hospitalization numbers continues rising at the pace it has for the past two weeks, the county would move into the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention's high virus activity category by late June. 
For us, if the county remains in the high category for two straight weeks, the county will reimpose a universal indoor mask mandate. Quote, I do not want to encourage everybody to use, or I do want to encourage everybody to use your mask now, Farrar said. We don't have to wait till things get much worse. So, L.A. County, hope you uh, have a right to abolish crop tops. Um, somebody said, uh, L.A. County, if you are in L.A. County, get ready. Dust off those masks because it looks like there's a good possibility this summer they will be coming back. Uh, it looks like they are going to go back that way. Uh, L.A. County, for some reason, just doesn't want to let go. I think Barbara Farrar, I don't even think she's actually a medical doctor. I think she has some sort of degree in like psychology or something like that. She's not actually a medical doctor, um, but she's been the county public health director, and she loves masks. She has not really even gotten away from the masks, um, and I think this whole back and forth is not really helpful. Um, and I can tell a lot of L.A. residents are probably not that enthused about the idea of going back to mass and there may be a lot of people who are enthused about going back to mass but i think a good majority of people um are going to probably reject this idea it's kind of like when it came back in vogue down here in san diego a lot of people just kind of didn't really listen um but it's it's something that they're going to keep clinging on to and i i would expect that they're going to start ramping it up again they're going to obviously push it um coming into the fall and all that stuff so there is a possibility that you're going to see in California some of these counties and areas and jurisdictions sliding backwards on a lot of COVID policy. Um, so keep an eye on that. And I just wanted to point that out because that's something for LA, anybody in L.A. County to be aware of. Um, another thing that someone had brought up about the a L.A. mayoral race. Now, um, this is something that let's see if I can find the article because I think it's really important. So. Talking about why I wanted to do this again and still talk about the primaries even a week later is because even though the primaries were last week, there's still a lot of stuff coming in. There's still a lot of vote by mail. There's millions of ballots that have not been counted, which to me is crazy that we can't get millions of ballots counted on the night of election. That's something that a lot of people are going to start losing faith in the electoral process if millions and millions of votes are not even counted by the time they cast their ballot that most people don't even really know where the results are going to lie. Now there are like statistical analysis and people who can look online and say like, look, uh, here's a sample and here's how much we know. Um, that way we know that the, this is too much of a, a lead to overcome, even though that didn't really work in the presidential race because they said Pennsylvania was too far to overcome for Biden, but somehow he came back and won it. Um, but that's why I want to do these primary kind of debrief right now, a week later. And there's, a, there's still going to be stuff going on like a month from now. It's going to take a while for this to shake out. There are things we know for positive. We know that Chesa Bodine has been recalled, which is something I'm going to talk about with this Atlantic article. But this is something that's interesting. Uh, Alex Mickelson, who, if you don't know, he's one of the reporters up in L.A., had tweeted with the latest batch of ballots, Karen Bass takes the lead in L.A. mayor's race. There are still more than 245,000 ballots to count in L.A. County. Uh, right now, Karen Bass is at 41. Rick Cruz is 38. Kevin DeLeon is way back at 8%. Not even really a thing. Um, let's see. The New Los Angeles Times reported... Representative Karen Bass pulled ahead of rival Rick Caruso in the primary election for Los Angeles mayor on Tuesday after a surge of vote-by-mail ballots boosted the congresswoman and several other progressive candidates. Over the week, a flood of late-arriving mail ballots propelled left-of-center candidates in races for mayor, city attorney, and multiple council seats. Now, this is something that I can understand. If it were something that statistically, and this is something we saw in 2020, which is stuff that raises eyebrows, right? Um, it raises certainly a lot of eyebrows of people who are looking at this going, wait a second, why is it always one thing breaks entirely for one candidate? Statistically, a lot of people who follow elections and voting and all this stuff look at this and go, this doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Um, and especially in this case, if Karen Bass, who was behind on election night, all of a sudden has an eight point swing in just the matter of a week because of vote by mail. That's something that a lot of people should probably look at and go, wait a second. Unless there is that much of a discrepancy that 
the far left stays home and they mail in their ballots and people, anybody right of center actually goes and votes on day of, which is why you get these discrepancies. That is an issue. That certainly is an issue that people should be looking into and saying, wait a second, why are we getting only one person or one one way of leaning politician that seems to benefit from vote by mail, which is, again, why a lot of these far left people are pushing vote by mail, why Noodles is pushing vote by mail, why it's always a lot of Democrats who are pushing vote by mail. They always seem to benefit at the end. Now, it'll be interesting in the general because we know at this point that is going to be Rick Caruso and Karen Bass who are going to face off for the L.A. city mayor. Now, if you look at the breakdown, there are other people who took 7%, 8%, you know, a couple other percent here and there. Joe Buscaino dropped out, so he's no longer a factor. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it shakes out over the next several months before Election Day. And it looks like if you're Rick Caruso, you're going to have to build up a substantial lead to the point where they call the race on Election Night. And I fear that that's probably not going to be the case. I think it will probably come down to the wire and it's going to be very close between these two. And it does. You have one Karen Bass who will likely just maintain the status quo in Los Angeles and Rick Caruso, who is the former Republican turned independent turned Democrat billionaire developer of the Grove and the Americana. Um, If you're in L.A., those are some of the nicer areas of LA which is like the high-end shopping malls and stuff like that they're not even shopping malls they're like shopping center or shopping plazas I guess you can call them so coming up into the general looks like Rick Caruso is going to have to build a substantial lead going into election night because if this is the case you can see that vote by mail is going to obviously shift for Karen Bass and if she's only behind by two or three percent they're not going to call the race on election night. They're not going to call the race because there's a possibility if she did an eight-point swing in the primaries with just those two candidates, there's a possibility she could do the same exact thing with vote by mail. Um, Again, why it's important in California not to always just call the primaries right away because these things do kind of shake out over the course of a month. But statistically, you can look at a lot of this stuff and most people can say it's over. We can call the race. Like the Chesa Bodine recall. That's something that people can call because it's such a huge disparity. It's such an enormous disparity of 60% of people voted to recall uh, Chesa Bodine and you only need 51% that it's unlikely that he's going to be able to make up the ground. At this point, he's already, I read that he's conceded that he's already out, that he is um, somewhere in, down in South America. He's not even actually, he's in like Costa Rica or something. He's not even um, actually still in San Francisco. He vacated his office. Somebody else is going to come in and clean it out. Um, what is the cutoff date for the vote by mail ballots to arrive at the register uh, or at registrar offices? I thought it was yet to drop it off by election day. I don't think you can keep dropping them off. Someone can correct me. Camille, I know you can research that right away um, and let me know in the comments whether that's true or not. Uh, But I always assume that it was you have to drop it off by Election Day, that anything postmarked or dropped off. Well, you can't drop anything off after Election Day because there's no more election polling. And I think after you can't postmark it afterwards or is there like a week? Um, But that may be something to look into. So somebody says it's 8 p.m. by Election Day. They have to be postmarked by Election Day. So if you get things that are postmarked June 8th, because that was the day after, uh, that wouldn't be counted. So the fact that all this is really coming in so slowly um, is kind of worrying. They Yes, they do have to stop counting them after a specific date. So it has to be, I think, like 30 days or something that they keep counting up until and they're not going to keep uh, or it's 36 days, 36 days until the vote is certified. So they have only 36 days until the vote is over. And they have to keep they can keep counting ballots. So you're, that's why you see a lot of these ballots. And if you follow someone like Rob Pryor's on Instagram, if you want to be like a real or Instagram on Twitter, he's a real wonk on this stuff when it comes to California elections. Follow him and he shows you that like every couple days um, there's a big batch and it could change the vote one way or another. So it is very it's interesting to watch and this race specifically for LA city mayors, because it's going to kind of get a gauge of where LA and San Francisco are going. 
And I said this last week in terms of why this election is really important, and specifically these primaries are very important, um, is because I think it's the line in the sand election for a lot of Californians. It's a line in the sand as to how far are you going to let California get really kooky and crazy before people start to go, wait a second, I'm all for a little kooky and crazy because I live here in California. That's sort of why I like California is um, a little kooky and crazy. But at a certain point, I also want to raise a family and live in my house without fear of someone breaking in or have my car broken into or walk down the street in a major city and not deal with um, any sort of drug issues or stepping on a needle or something like that. So this is the line in the sand um, election. I think you're going to see a lot of people kind of turn against far left progressive ideology. And this would be a perfect segue into the article I'm going to share with you uh, from the Atlantic is that this is the line in the sand and you're going to see it across the sort of up and down the state. And LA city is definitely one of those barometers. And if LA city elects uh, Rick Caruso as mayor, I think that's a big line in the sand for the rest of the state to kind of say, this is as far as we've gone. We've we've done as much progressive. I think the recall of Chesa Bodine is also a line in the sand. Um, so I wouldn't all of a sudden say San Francisco is going to get like a whole bunch of Republicans, but you're going to start seeing a lot of people who were liberals versus leftists, I guess you could say, like classical liberals who are living, let live. And sort of now you have these leftists who are really kind of ruining the city of San Francisco. Um, there were some other elections that, uh, you know, governor didn't really, we know nothing really shook out there. Brian Dolly got 17.4% of the vote. We know that nothing was really changed in any of these other races. Um, trying to think of any other races of, of import. Uh, Alex Padilla got 54.4% of the vote. And then behind him is Mark Mauser, who got 14.7% of the vote. So, Mark Mauser is going to be moving on. Uh, some of the House representatives, Young Kim, did really well in her district. Uh, unfortunately, Scott Bow won in 47, which um, if you know, I did an expose on Scott Bow. But I guess if you have enough money and you're Scott Bow and you have enough connections in the Orange County Republican Party, that, that's all that matters. As long as you got money and you have connections in Orange County, in the Orange County Republican Party, then you're fine and forget all the other sketchy stuff and being indicted for election fraud and all that. But uh, let's hop into this article because I do want to give you guys some time to ask questions and follow up about the primaries. Um, any audio listeners who are like, wait, you had a podcast last week. It wasn't a podcast. I hopped on live to let everybody know that Angela wasn't going to be able to make it last Thursday. And it sort of turned into a whole hour and a half kind of live out of nowhere and we talked about a lot of things so if you are interested in that extra content and you're an audio listener purely go on instagram you'll see the video of me talking about the primaries the day after or a couple days after so let's get into this article by the atlantic um make sure okay they still have all my highlights i've been working with this new program about highlighting online because i'm not going to read the whole article it's a very long article i would definitely recommend I'm going to put the link in the show description for the audio. Um, and I think it's it's a really good article. And this is one of those things where if you only read one side or if you only read from one source, you're not going to get as much of an idea of what the heck is going on outside of your echo chamber. And I think this is important. That's why I want to read this. Uh, so this is written by Nellie Balls, the author of forthcoming book of essays, writes a column in the newsletter, Common Sense. Um, and we'll hop into it. Let's see. She talks about her upbringing. She grew up in San Francisco. She loves it. Blah, 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 blah. We can kind of skip over that. Um, do, do, do. It starts off, but I need you to love San Francisco a little bit. Like I do a lot. In order to hear the story of how my city fell apart and how it just might be starting to pull itself back together. Because yesterday, San Francisco voters decided to turn their district attorney, Chesa Bodine, out of office. They did it because he didn't seem to care that he was making the citizens of our city miserable in service of an ideology that made sense everywhere but in reality. It's not just about Bodine, though. 
There is a sense that on everything from housing to schools, San Francisco has lost the plot, that progressive leaders here have been LARPing left-wing values instead of working to create a livable city, and many San Franciscos have had enough. This is the right off the bat. I think this is really interesting for her to say this as someone who loves San Francisco, grew up in San Francisco, who kind of got used to the idea that San Francisco is this kooky place. And again, it's this line in the sand. It's that there's a certain point where people, you push them farther and farther and farther. And sooner or later, people are going to push back and go, eh, it doesn't really work in reality. Um, and it's all over the map. She goes over a whole bunch of different things. We're only going to focus on parts of the article. Uh, but I like that line. That San Francisco has lost the pot, that progressive leaders here have been LARPing. If you know what LARPing is, LARPing is basically like, uh, it's live action role play, right? That's what it means. It's like when people go out in the woods and pretend they're wizards or something, um, or fantasy things, and they LARP. Left-wing values, instead of working to create a livable city, and many San Franciscos have had enough. I think that's really a lot of kind of California politics summarized into one little sentence, which is, we do keep pushing a lot of these policies in California that where you want to LARP as this really, really cool progressive who has these idealistic ideas, but it doesn't work in reality and it doesn't work in the real world. And you can pass all of these really, really um, progressive, cool ideas like Scott Weiner's idea if he wants to pass, make drag queen story time, something that is required in K through 12. Stuff like that sounds really progressive and it gets you clicks and it gets a lot of people on his side who are like, yas queen, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of parents who go, no, 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 no. You're not making a state law where you require drag queen story hour in every single school, K through 12. Not going to happen. Not going to work in reality. Uh, during the first part of the pandemic, San Francisco County lost more than one in 20 residents, myself among them. Signs of the city's pandemic decline are everywhere. The boarded up stores, the ghostly downtown, the encampments. But walking the streets awakens me to how bad San Francisco had gotten even before the coronavirus hit to how much suffering and squalor I'd come to think was normal. Stepping over people's bodies, blurring my eyes to not see a dull needle jabbing and jabbing again between toes. It coarsened me. I've gotten used to the idea that some people just want to live like that. I was even a little defensive of it. Hey, it's America. It's your choice. And that's that live and let live kind of San Francisco attitude of like, hey, just, you know what? You want to do what you want to do. You want to die in a gutter addicted to fentanyl. Go right ahead. And she, sure, she sort of talks about this. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of my friends saw a man staggering down the street bleeding. She recognized him as someone who regularly slept outside in the neighborhood and called 911. Paramedics and police arrived and began treating him, but members of a homeless advocacy group noticed and intervened. They told the man that he didn't have to get into the ambulance and that he had the right to refuse treatment. So that's what he did. The paramedics left. The activists left. The man sat on the sidewalk alone, still bleeding. A few months later, he died about a block away. Again, you have a lot of these progressives who push these ideas and these nonprofits. But what ultimately happened? This man lost his life as opposed to getting treatment. I used to tell myself that San Francisco politics were wacky, but the city was trying, really trying to be good. But the reality is that the smartest minds and so much money and the very best of intentions, San Francisco became a cruel city. It became so dogmatically progressive that maintaining the purity of the politics required accepting or at least ignoring the devastating results. But this dogmatism may be buckling under pressure from reality. Earlier this year, in a landslide, San Francisco voters recalled the head of the school board and two of her most progressive colleagues. These are the people who also turned out voting. Early results show that uh, about 60% of voters chose to recall him. So this is one of those things. And I think, again, this is sort of an encapsulation of what's going on in California. It's not that these ideas don't really work in reality. And she even admits it here that a lot of this dogmatic ideas of these progressive ideas, these far left ideas that work in these think tanks and in universities and professors, and they think it's all great and good. But when it's out in the real world, you're starting to see the effects of it and it's harming normal everyday citizens. And it's gotten to the point now where a lot of people on the far left can't admit that they are wrong because they're afraid that if they even say anything 
If they say boo about any sort of progressive policy, they're going to get labeled as a Republican, a Trump supporter, because it's that black and white to them. It's if you are against what they're pushing, every single progressive ideology, then you must be some sort of fascist right wing Trump supporter um, because you can't be one of us. And that's that dogmatic sort of adherence to religious religion. Um, that is a problem with the far left here in California. They may say they're atheists and they don't believe in God, but the reality of it is they do believe in a God. They believe in the God of the state and they believe in the God of a progressive state an Uber progressive state. And I don't even like saying that they are Uber progressive because progressive, as we've talked about on this show means you're actually going somewhere. There is progress to where you are going. And a lot of their policies are not progressive because it doesn't progress. It doesn't make anything better. And in this case, in San Francisco, you're seeing a lot of these quote unquote progressive policies harming everyday citizens. And this is where their dogmatic and religious kind of worship at the foot of the state and worship at the foot of government. As long as it's a progressive government, progressive in quotes, because that's what all it is. Um, then you're part of the church. If you dare question it, if you dare question it, you're a heathen and you'll likely be thrown out of the church. Moving on. Uh, policymakers and residents largely embrace the exciting idea that people should be able to do whatever they want to do, including live in tent cities and have fun with drugs and make their own medical decisions, even if they are out of their mind sometimes. But then fentanyl arrived and more and more people started dying in those tents. When the pandemic began, the drug crisis got worse. Do, 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 do. The movement to decriminalize shoplifting in San Francisco began in 2014 with Prop 47, the state law that downgraded drug possession and also recategorized the theft of merchandise worth less, less than $950, $950 as a misdemeanor. It accelerated in 2019 with the election of Bodine as district attorney. Um, Bodine ran to the left as a fierce progressive ideologue whose worldview was shaped by his imprisoned parents, members of the Weather Underground. He was a public defender, not a prosecutor at all. And this is always why it's kind of a big deal. If you see a race running for district attorney and you see someone who is a prosecutor who is running, who has 10, 15 years running or 15 or 20 years running as a prosecutor, has been a DA for that many years, and you see someone who's running as a public defender, nine times, 9.9 times out of 10, always support the person who actually ran and has experience as a prosecutor. Don't elect the public defender. They tried that down here in San Diego. Uh, they tried to get someone in who was a public defender who had no prosecutorial discretion. Of course, she was backed by Soros, part of the Soros campaign to change all the prosecutors. I think Chesa Bodine and Gascon were two of those uh, but it didn't work down here in San Diego. So thankfully, Summer Stevens won, and she beat back the Soros-backed public defender. Um, at Bodine's election party, a city supervisor led the crowd in a chant of F the POA. And the POA is the Police Officers Association because they fought really hard against them. They spent about $400,000 in attack ads. During his campaign, Bodine said he wouldn't prosecute quality-of-life crimes. He wanted to, quote, break the cycle of recidivism. By addressing the social causes of crime, poverty, addiction, mental health issues, Bodine was selling revolution and San Francisco was ready, in theory, but not in fact, because it turns out that people on the left also own property and generally believe stores should be paid for the goods they sell. Let me say that again, because it turns out that people on the left also own property and generally believe that stores should be paid for the goods that they sell. So there is this sort of, again, we're going back to this idea of there is a line and there is a line even for people on the left to go, um, I would like to feel safe in my house. I'd like to feel like my car is not going to get broken into. And I do believe that the stores that I go to are going to sell products and make money on those products and they're not going to get robbed from those products. Um, so that's, again, that's that line. We're starting to see a line, and we're starting to see how far they can butt up against it. And clearly, in this recall of Chesa Bodine, you've seen the line, and now you've seen that people kind of said, this is the line, and we're pushing back on it. 
Under Bodine, prosecutors in the city could no longer use the fact that someone had been convicted of a crime in the past to ask for a longer sentence, except in extraordinary circumstances. Bodine ended cash bail and limited the use of gang enhancements, which allow harsher sentences for gang-related felonies. In most cases, he prohibited prosecutors from seeking charges when drugs and guns were found during minor traffic stops. Quote, we will not charge cases... To be we will not charge cases determined to be a racist pretextual stop that leads to recovery of contraband. Rachel Marshall, the district attorney's director of communications, told me uh, about 60 prosecutors had left since Bodine took office, close to half of his team. Some retired or were fired, but others quit in protest. I talked with two who joined the recall campaign. One of them, a homicide prosecutor named Brooke Jenkins, told me she left in part because Bodine was pressuring some lawyers to prosecute major crimes as lesser offenses. She couldn't be a part of it. Quote, the victims feel hopeless. They feel he has lost their opportunity for justice. Right now, what they see and feel is that the only concern is the criminal offender. A uh, 2020 tweet from the Tenderloin Police Station captured the frustration of rank and file tonight. For the 15th time in 18 months and the third time in 20 days, we are booking the same suspect at county jail for felony motor vehicle theft. Um, and again, it's one of those issues where cops are not going to necessarily arrest someone once they know that the DA is not going to prosecute them. It's not worth the paperwork. It's not worth holding the person. It's not worth going through the whole procedure. Because they know that if they're going to arrest somebody and bring them up on charges and they're not going to prosecute them and they're going to be back out on the street, police are just going to say, eh, screw it. I'm not really, it's not really my issue anymore. You know, not my monkey, not my circus. Um, so that contributes to a lot of the crime. In 2020, I interviewed Bodine while working on a story for the New York Times when we talked about he was in, why he wasn't interested in prosecuting quality of life. He explained, hold on to your pants here. He, he explained that street crime is small potatoes compared with the high-level stuff he wants to focus on. Kilos, not crumbs, is a favorite line of his. He suggested that many drug dealers in San Francisco are themselves vulnerable and in need of protection. Quote, a significant percentage of people selling drugs in San Francisco, perhaps as many as half, are here from Honduras, he said in a 2020 virtual town hall. We need to be mindful about the impact of our interventions have. Some of these young men have been trafficked here under pain of death. Some of them have had family members in Honduras who have been or will be harmed if they don't continue to pay off these traffickers. So there you have it. Chesa Bodine believes that there's no real reason to prosecute drug dealers because there's a good chance that if you're a drug dealer and you were trafficked here from Honduras that you have to pay up, you know, you have to kick up to the guy upstairs, 10% to the big guy upstairs, whoever it is back in Honduras. Um, so just let them sell is basically his, his mantra. Forget that it then brings in more drugs, that it does harm people. It harms children. It harms students. It harms uh, the homeless. It harms a lot of people, but because we're worried about what's going on in Honduras, don't, prosecute any of them don't prosecute any of the laws don't enforce any of the laws because there may be a chance that that drug dealer uh has a connection to the cartel back in honduras and therefore that's why community should be ruined because of that connection i when i saw that i was absolutely astounded that that's one of your rationales for why it, you know if you're come to a different country and there's laws there um you're going to expect to be prosecuted under those laws. If I went to Europe or if I went to a European country, if I went to Italy, you know, screw that. Even if I went down 20 minutes down south of the border and I broke a law in Mexico, I'm not going to say don't prosecute me because I'm from the United States and I have all these issues back in the United States. They're going to say, we don't care. You broke our law here in Mexico. Therefore, you're going to face time. You're going to be prosecuted. Um, that sort of logic that you don't want to prosecute someone because they're breaking laws here may impact their lives. I mean, there could be a better way to do that. There may be a better way to help, but to not prosecute at all and just let them go seems to be a really bad idea. Um, Bodine's defenders like to dismiss his critics as whiny tech bros or rich right wingers. One pro-Bodine flyer said, stop the right-wing agenda. Right, because you could fit 
basically all of the Republicans in San Francisco in and in and out. That's about how many there are. And you're going to say that it's a right wing agenda, that it was so powerful um, that they were able to get a far left progressive district attorney in San Francisco booted out of office. Right. Wrong, because 60 percent of people who voted are not likely all Republicans. If that were the case, San Francisco would be a completely different city. If 60 percent of people who were Republican voted to get rid of this guy, that would be an enormous <laughs> That'd be an enormous swing. It'd be a whole different city. Um, but he's going to blame everybody else. If it were only the rich, well, the rich can hire private security or move to the suburbs. And many do. Uh, wait, hold on. Let me go back. But the drumbeat of complaints came from plenty of good liberals, and so did the votes against them. If it were only the rich, well, the rich can hire private security or move to the suburbs. And many do. They're not the only people who live here, and they're not the only ones who got angry. Right. Um, the city's progressives seem to feel that it's all just too beautiful and fragile to change. Any change will mean diminishment. Any new, bigger building means the old, charming one is gone, and the old, charming resident is probably gone, too. The flow of newcomers is out of control. They should just stop coming here. The community gardens have to stay, along with the sunlight spilling across the low buildings. No one thinks about it as damning teachers and firefighters to mega-commutes. No one thinks of it as kicking out the middle class, given the choice between housing people in a sidewalk tents or new buildings that might be risk blocking up an inch of their view of the bay. San Francisco's for years chose the tents. And that's talking about a lot of housing developments. So switching gears and not about Chester Bodine anymore. Um, so when I ask what article am I reading, it's from the Atlantic. I'll go ahead and post it in the show notes uh, of the audio podcast. Uh, now talking about schools, the city schools were shut for most of 21, 2020 to 21 academic year, longer than schools in most other cities and much longer than San Francisco's private schools. In the middle of the pandemic, with no real opening plan in sight, school board meetings became major events with audiences on Zoom of more than a thousand. The board didn't have unilateral power to reopen schools, even if it wanted to. That depended on negotiations between the district, the city and the teachers union. But many parents were appalled to find that the board members didn't even seem to want to talk about much, uh, talk much about getting kids back into the classrooms. They didn't want to talk about learning loss or issues with attendance and functionality. It seemed they couldn't be bothered with topics like ventilation. Instead, they wanted to talk about white supremacy because that was really the big issue of 2020. Uh, do, 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 keep going on, talking to anyone. Bodine's opponents, likewise, came from all over the city. He liked to say they were funded by elites, and the recall campaign did raise about twice as much money, but wealthy people have donated to the pro-Bodine campaign, too. The racial group that most likely say they wanted Bodine recalled? Asian Americans. Their allies include many from the remnants of the city's middle class, as well as same sort of swayable liberals who went from voting for Collins to recalling her. Going on. Uh, to finish up. My hometown isn't turning red on any electoral maps, but the shift is real. The farm at 770 Woosley, the developer finally has approval to turn into housing. If progressives have overplayed their hand, gotten a little decadent in the culture war winds and stirring slogans without the good government to back them all up, San Francisco is showing the way toward an internal reformation. Um... It, of course, it'll take more than a couple of recall votes to save San Francisco. When I asked Breed about the new Center for Addicts in the Plaza, the creation of which she supported, she seemed a little uncomfortable and soon after wanted to wrap up our interview. She says something vague about how not all change can happen at once. For too long, San Francisco has been too satisfied to address the slow rot in every one of its institutions. Again, what have I always been saying about COVID and all this stuff? COVID did expose the rot going on in California institutions. We saw it firsthand. So COVID exposed not only over statewide what we saw in Sacramento in terms of rot. Now a lot of people in San Francisco are starting to see the slow rot of a lot of their institutions. But nothing's given me more hope than the rage and the recalls. San Franciscans feel ashamed. I think for the first time people are like, wait, what is a progressive? Am I responsible? Is this my fault? San Franciscans are now saying we want a fair justice system and also want to keep our windows from getting smashed. And it's not white supremacy to hope that the schools stay open, that teachers teach children, and yes, that they test to see what those kids have learned. Um, right. If 
finally. San Francisco's tricked themselves into believing that progressive politics required blocking new construction, shunning the immigrants who came to town to code. We tricked ourselves into thinking psychosis and addiction on the sidewalk were just part of the city's diversity, even as the homelessness and housing prices drove out the city's actual diversity. Now residents are coming to their senses. The recalls mean there's a limit to how far we will let the decay of this great city go, and thank God. Again, she agrees with me. She agrees with me that there is a line in the sand, and there is a line that a lot of people on the left are not willing to really go past. Um, and I think those are basic tenets. Those are basic tenets that a lot of Californians can agree on. So when I had a cal- coffee in California politics several weeks, weeks back, we talked about how we're not really that different in terms of sort of these core issues, these kitchen table politics issues. And a lot of uh, sort of the loudest cries come from these far left progressives. They're being exposed. They're being exposed as the status and leftists that they are and that their ideas don't really work in reality, that people want to send their kids to schools that work, that they know that their kids are going to learn something. And they're more worried that those kids will learn something and be smart and go on to college or whatever they want to do. Uh, People also want to live in a city where they don't have to worry about their windows being smashed or people walking into their house who are three sheets to the wind or on drugs or something like that. And they also don't want to walk their kids down the street and have to worry about stepping over dead bodies of people who have overdosed on fentanyl. These are core issues. And again, I think that's an important thing going forward here and why these primaries are this line in the sand. And if San Francisco is a microcosm, I think you're seeing it across the state. You're seeing a lot of people who are pushing back. Um, Smaller races, one that I pointed out down here in uh, San San Francisco, San Diego, is one where David Alvarez has won a special election to take over the assembly seat 80 down here in San Diego, and he beat Georgette Gomez. Now, you're going to say, well, he's a Democrat. He is, but he's a moderate Democrat. He's a moderate Democrat who actually came out and supported suspending the gas tax. Don't know if he'll stick to that. But the fact that he came out and said that we need to help Californians in this time of need, we need to suspend the gas tax, is a lot more moderate than what Georgette Gomez was proposing, which is she didn't want to suspend the gas tax. She wanted to create more legislation to go after and price, uh, go after any sort of price gouging when it came to oil companies and stuff like that. So, Again, I think there is a line in the sand. And if there is any silver lining to what is going on in California right now is the fact that you are seeing how far it can go. And there is a line. And if you can say, here are the borders of what people will accept and what people won't accept, at least right now, you can argue in those lanes. You know, it's sort of like in bowling when you put the bumpers up because you can't bowl and you were a little kid or something like that, and they put the bumpers up to make sure your ball goes down the lane, it's not going to go off and be a gutter ball. Like, those are your bumpers. You know this is as far as they'll go right, and this may be as far as they go left. So these issues in the middle, excuse me, these issues in the middle are what we're really going to start arguing about or what we're going to move forward on. And another thing outside of California was the win out in Texas, which is a big deal. Uh, Myra Flores, I believe her name is. Um, huge issue. that a, a congressional seat that had never been won by a Republican was won by this, this uh, young lady, and it was the first time a Republican has held this seat. It's also the first time a Mexican-born citizen actually is elected into Congress. So if that shows you anything, it does show you there is a pushback amongst Hispanics and Hispanics are starting to change their tune on whether they vote Democrat or Republican. And that could have huge implications in Texas. It can have huge implications in New Mexico and Arizona and here in California. You're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of it. Um, You're going to see a lot of now if that Hispanic block starts to move more to the right and start voting conservative it could change a lot of things here in California. So we may be on a precipice of where California says, this is the line. We're not going any farther than this in terms of far left progressivism. And you have a Hispanic population that is becoming more conservative here in California and across the nation. Now, all of a sudden you have a recipe to kind of change things and move back and kind of stem the tide and move backwards. So 
I'm always a glass has half full kind of guy in terms of this, and I always think that there is a possibility here. There is certainly a possibility um, to take advantage of this window that we have where people are looking for new ideas. They're looking for a different solution. They're tired of the same old way of doing things, and here they are. Here it is, and if people don't take advantage of that, well, that's their fault. Um, I doubt the California GOP is going to necessarily take huge advantage of it, but it's up to people at the grassroots, right? It's up to people at the grassroots to organize, and then, you know, subtle plug for tomorrow's podcast. Look at what the Mises Caucus did with the Libertarian Party. It's a whole new Libertarian Party. It's not the Libertarians. It's not these woke Libertarians who are all fine with Drag Queen Story Hour and stuff like that. It's a whole different Libertarian Party. Um, so there's positivity there. Um, there's some good things. There's some bad things. I'm reading the tea leaves about what I think is good. And I think you can agree with me or disagree with me. And that's basically it. So with that said, there's about 10 minutes left. I do want to open it up for questions or comments while I do take a sip of coffee. So it's a really good article. It's, it's, it's a lot longer than what I read. And that was a lot of the article. Um, but I would definitely check it out. It's a great article to read and sort of get this person's firsthand experience of someone who really does love San Francisco and they see the writing on the wall and how bad it's gotten and they can say it's gotten really bad and I'm hopeful that it can save itself. Now, again, she's right. It's not going to be necessarily read anytime soon, but if San Francisco is the benchmark of far left ide ideology, right? And a lot of the crazy and cuckoo ideas come out of there that then make it to the rest of the country. If they're not as cuckoo crazy anymore and they become more moderate, it doesn't seem that bad anymore, right? Of course, there's other places where kooky ide ideology comes out of here, San Diego. Nathan Fletcher seems to be fine with being the... Um, guinea pig the canary in the coal mine to, so to speak to try out a lot of these ideas uh i don't know if a lot of people realize that um the whole ministry of truth was really kind of a idea that started here in san diego this idea of pushing back on misinformation that kind of got rolled out so there's a lot of cuckoo ideas that start here in san diego just because of nathan fletcher and remember it's just one seat that changed the supervisor so all right let's get some questions um on 866, they want to try and amend it to keep it alive. We need to keep the heat on to kill it altogether. Yeah, you can follow their accounts who will give you um, a lot of information on where to call in. But you can just go to the assembly site and call, find your person, call up and email them. Did you watch speakers from the Libertarian Convention? Uh, I didn't necessarily watch. I watched a couple of them. I didn't watch all of them. So um, I, I sort of got it secondhand. I understand your line of the sand analogy, but at the same time, how much of these policies passed during this doubling down on progressivism is irreversible. Well, I mean, it's none of it's irreversible. Let me put it that way. None of this is irreversible. Laws can be changed. Laws can be amended. You can have propositions that repeal things. If Prop 47 gets more attention, you could certainly put out a citizen's proposition that could repeal Prop 47. Boom, done. You know, we had the opportunity to repeal the gas tax, but because of the way the attorney general worded it, they a lot of people voted yes when they should have voted no. Um, but there are ways to do it. Obviously, there's ways to hold up things. There's ways to negotiate. There's ways to get politicians and even out and get rid of the supermajority so that politicians actually have to argue over legislation. There is ways to re reverse a lot of this. Um so it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be like someone's going to come in and wave a magic wand and be like, it's all over. Uh, we're a red state now. You know, the ghost of Reagan has blessed us. It's like, it's going to take time, but nothing's irreversible. So uh, I didn't watch it, but Dave Smith aired his podcast from the convention. Sucks there in Reno and not in SAC. Yeah, if it wasn't, you know, the fact that it was in Reno, Reno is, I think even Dave Smith made a comment about how hard it was to actually get to Reno on purpose. Um, but yeah, he has a good podcast live from the convention where a lot of people are, it's fun. It's a rowdy sort of um, rowdy crew that follows Dave Smith and especially the Mises caucus. Uh, but Hey, they did a great job. 
you know, and I've been following them. And I think what they did is really important because it does show that if you organize and you get the right people in, you can take over parties, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with the establishment and stuff like that. And they get frustrated with, oh, uh, you know, the California GOP is just nothing but establishment and rhinos and, and they don't really fight for us. Well, you can get involved and you can be a delegate and you can create caucuses within your party that become a voting block. And that's what happened with the Libertarian Party was they created a caucus. They created this Mises caucus. Everyone voted and everyone said, hey, these are the people we're going to support. We're going to put all these people in charge. And that's how we're going to take over the Libertarian Party. And they did it. And they got enough people and they got enough delegates that they were able to overwhelm um, a lot of this stuff. And they won. So hypothetically, could you do that with the Republican Party? Sure, you could get enough people who believe in a certain idea. And that's sort of the idea of the Republican Caucus is an idea of people who believe in a certain amount of ideals and they support people taking over certain counties and they support people taking over the party. And you get enough people in that caucus to be delegates that they can go to the convention and they can vote on certain issues and vote down certain bylaws and stuff like that. And you become sort of a strong enough voting block that you can take over the party and you can put your people in place. That's really how it works. I really boiled it down. I'm sure someone will be like, it's not that easy. But that's basically boiled down to what it really is. So, all right. Any more questions, comments about the primaries, comments about the article, comments about San Francisco in general? I mean, you can... anything else going out on out in the world? Um, oof. Nothing else. No one's really no one's really talkative today. Interesting. <laughs> Waiting for people to have a question. Drinking my coffee. Looking at June gloom. Iran. I I don't know what's going on in Iran. This is a California politics show. We're not really talking about Iran. Um, any tea? Uh, no, I don't have really any tea. Uh, going to San Fran this weekend, haven't been in five years, so wish me luck. I mean, I was just in San Fran a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't as bad as I think people made it out to be. It's still, there's still issues in San Francisco, believe me. It, it does have a weird feeling to it that is not completely um, turned around yet, and yeah, it hasn't turned that corner yet. But there's still a lot of businesses, and you can still do things, and um, you know, just like any big city in California, just be careful. So depends on what you're going to go do there. I mean, if you're going to go see a Giants game, Giants games are fine. Uh, that area is very well taken care of. They want to make sure that area is well taken care of. Do I think Amy Reichart has any chance in San Diego? Um, I know Amy, um, uh, and I think she does a great job. Uh, what date is Trump going to be reinstated as president? Any day now, right? That's what they always tell you. It'll be August um, 8th because 8822 two times 2 is 4 times 2 is 8. I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. It's always the running joke on these message boards of when will Trump be reinstated as president? And people always keep pushing the date out. Uh, if you're a big Parks and Rec fan... Uh, there's a funny episode with the the cult. They're they're called like uh, Zorg or something, Zorb Zorb or whatever. Um, but they show up like every year or so, and they say this is the end of the world. And then like the guy comes out and he's like, "Oh, we got it wrong, so we're gonna need to reserve that park on another day." And that it, it's a funny episode. If you're not a Parks and Rec fan, you don't really know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, does Amy Reichart have a chance? It's gonna be tough. It's, it's going to be very tough. Um, she's going to be going up against a tough opponent and the fact that he's going to slander the hell out of her. He's going to throw a lot of mud because that's all Nathan Fletcher knows how to do is sling mud at people. He doesn't know how to debate his ideas. I'd be interested to see if they actually agree to a debate. Nathan Fletcher, I know, will probably dodge a debate as much as possible. Um, it would be great to see the two of them actually get into a debate and debate the ideas. But sadly, a lot of these Democrats, 
who know that they're going to win by a landslide or feel like they are going to win by a landslide just feel like they don't have to debate. They're just like, I, you know, I don't have to debate you. Why do I have to debate you? I'm, if I don't debate you, I'm still going to win by double digits. Um, so it would be great if they actually did debate and that Amy could actually take Nathan Fletcher to task on a lot of things. But is really, she's going to be outspent. He's got millions of dollars um, behind him. And he has a lot of connections. So he's going to outspend her. He's going to put a lot of ads on. And he may not even actually need to spend that much money, to be honest. He may just say, why even waste a lot of my money on beating someone who I'm going to beat by double digits? So... Um, hopefully she gets sort of a push from people and she does get the support of the local party that she can actually kind of get her name out there. Um, but in all likelihood, I I doubt he'll debate and he probably is just going to cruise to a reelection. Why don't they debate? Shouldn't that always be mandatory if we're supposed to vote for these people? You don't have to debate. It's not mandatory. Um, You can walk away from debates. You don't have to. I mean, look what happened in the presidential election. There were only two debates, right? And Biden refused to debate Trump for one of the debates. So it was something about COVID and whatever. Like, you can refuse a debate. You don't have to debate. Um, You don't even have to show up. So Uh, it would be interesting if they set up a debate. And there was an empty podium and Amy just kind of did her own thing um, and just kind of used that time to actually just debate or like prove her point and argue her point. Um, so that would be an interesting optic. I know someone tried to do that. They were they were running against Todd Gloria and they want to show they want to have a debate and then show up to the debate knowing Todd Gloria was not going to show up to the debate and then kind of prove that he didn't really care about people. And just used the time, but it never really worked. It never happened for that particular candidate, but I could see her doing that. We cannot write in a candidate for the general, correct? Waste of vote. Uh, you can write in anybody. You always have the option to write in for anybody. I mean, I don't know who you'd want to write in necessarily, but if you want to make a statement, you can certainly write in people. Uh, but you can, you have the ability to write in for basically anything. Have you heard of any schools using the summer to better safeguard for security? No. No, they're going to be using that, this opportunity to grab as many guns as possible. So what happened to Cordy Williams? Uh, I, I just don't think he had the campaign. I don't think he had the backing. Mark Mauser had the entire backing of the Republican Party, um, and he won. So Cordy Williams, uh, I don't necessarily... I didn't know too much about him. I know Mark had a much better, clearer plan of how to win. He knew what he had to do in the campaign in the general to make it competitive. So let's see. I know someone <laughs> major who held his own debate because he wasn't invited to the others. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. That sounds like he just probably did a live where he just kind of sat there and did his own thing, which could be kind of sad. Um, not saying it's a great tactic, but Mm-mm-mm-mm. KUSI would probably cover that. Uh, yeah, I could see KUSI doing that. I could see KUSI actually having a debate and inviting Nathan Fletcher and Amy to debate each other, but I could see Nathan not going on KUSI because uh, he'll probably use some excuse of like KUSI as a right wing talking point news and they're just full of racists and bigots and blah. like beholding a debate in your backyard doesn't count yeah having someone hold your iphone and watch you debate yourself is not doesn't count it it makes more sense if you have it like actually on a news channel that people are going to tune in and watch and then see that that person doesn't show up so um that's the bigger sort of symbolism is that the other person doesn't show up. Can I help a laugh? So what's up, Calvin? What is your next move? Because me and my people are waiting for a war. Waiting for a war? What kind of war? Um, I mean, we're just plugging away. We're doing our thing. We got to keep organizing. We got to keep doing our thing. Um, so we said last week, it's time to start organizing and get the revolution going. And revolution in terms of political revolution, not 
you know, Instagram, I don't want you to think I'm talking about any sort of violent revolution. Like a political revolution where we change politics here in California. Got to be careful because, I mean, at least invite someone to a real debate, wasn't it? Um, they should want to show up, a podium in the backyard, ain't it? Boots on the ground, activate voters. Yep. Yeah, it's going to take work. It's absolutely going to take work to get this stuff done. A lot of people just think if they show up and vote, which you should show up and vote, that's obviously really important. Um, but there's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen just because you wish it to. It's going to take work. It's going to take groups organizing, communicating, getting the word out there, cracking through a lot of this stuff. And things change slowly in politics, which um, thankfully was the way they intended it to happen here in the United States is that things are supposed to change slowly, not rapidly. They wanted it to take a slow progress to get things done. They did not want things to happen rapidly because they didn't want the mob rule to take over and change the country overnight. They wanted to make it really hard to amend the constitution they want to make it hard to pass a lot of stuff. Um, so that's why sort of things happen over the course of a long time as opposed to overnight. You know, uh, the only time it's ever going to happen overnight is if you actually throw a real revolution and really just go in and change things. But um, does Fletcher have a chance of being booted? Lexit will get involved. You know, the problem is Lexit, uh, I, I don't know if they have the money to back Amy in the sense of he's going to, he's going to raise a crap ton of money and he's going to spend money. So, uh, when I had kind of flirted with the idea of running against him because he was my district, he's not my district anymore. Uh, thankfully he's not my district anymore. Someone said, you're going to have to figure out how to raise over a million dollars. Um, so that's all it is. He's going to spend a million dollars on a supervisor's race and he's going to blow away anybody he goes up against. Um, but it doesn't mean give up. I mean, if, if Amy's a fighter, Amy's not going to give up. She's not going to roll over. I know that, uh, you can raise a lot of issues being the opponent of somebody, you know, even if you don't win, you can win by changing minds. And maybe the next time someone like a Nathan Fletcher doesn't get in, Right. Um, so it does, you know, I, I always think that you can, you don't want to write off any race um, because any race could make a difference. And any race that you run a good race, even if it's more competitive than other than what people may have thought, there's a lot of data to collect, and that data then goes into the next person who runs. It's kind of like handing the baton. Like, you may lose this race, but the next person who comes along in that district can look at your race and see what you did and work with you and say, hey, what did you do to make it competitive? And, and that person can say, well, I, I went after these voters. Um, this was the message that really resonated. And then people can improve upon that. So... Even if a race looks like it's going to head to a loss, doesn't mean just give up on it and just say, uh, you know, let's throw up our hands. It's not really worth it. You can still be competitive and still do things to help the next person down the line. So, um, all right. If there's no other questions or comments, I'm going to end for the day. As I said, tomorrow, Angela McArdle will be on. She is the new chair of the entire Libertarian Party, the National Libertarian Party. Because someone had asked me, they said, what do you got going on for the, what do you got going on? And I said, oh, I got Angela McArdle coming on. She's the chair of the Libertarian Party. And they go, oh, what county? I said, no, no, she's the head of the entire country. She's not just the head of a county. She's the head of the entire country. So it's a big deal. Um, and we'll see what she has to say and what, how that's going to affect here in California, but it's interesting. Um, you're right. I think they scare you with money signs, but to change minds, we debate the issues and change. Minds. Yeah. You got to be out there. I mean, it's, it's the classic Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena quote, which is one of my favorite quotes in the world. You know, even if you try and don't succeed, at least you tried and did something and gained something. So you can't, 
show up to a fight if you don't show up. So, can Tamika Hamilton boot Ami Barra? The Democrats gerrymandered the, the crap out of that district to the point where I live five minutes outside. Um, yeah, I think she can. I think she can win. So, I think her district is definitely flippable. A lot of people are saying her district is definitely flippable and winnable. So, with that said, I'm going to end for today. Thank you, everyone, for hopping on. As always, every 9 a.m. Uh, on Wednesdays uh, here on Instagram. We do this live coffee in California politics. And if you can't tune in or you tuned in late and you want to go back and listen to it, I always post the video. Or you can listen to it on audio. So you listen to it on audio anywhere. You listen to audio, Apple, Google, Spotify, all those different places. You can just check it out. Look, California Underground. You can find the podcast. You'll see the logo and all that stuff. And I'll see you all tomorrow night. Angela McArdle will be on. And uh, we got a lot of shows in the pipeline. Um, And speaking of Tamika Hamilton, I think she's coming on next week. So Tamika will be on next week uh, for the podcast. So when is cocktails in California politics? Um, (laughs) That coffee does get cold. It actually gets lukewarm by the end of it, which is unfortunate. Lukewarm coffee is never good. But it is what it is. Sitting here drinking coffee. So. Hope to see you all tomorrow night and next week and Tamika and then in the week after that. Um, does the wife refill it without us knowing? No, nope, wife doesn't. Uh, she's not the. She's not coming in here and refilling it. So, um, but anyway, thanks everyone for tuning in. I will see you on the next one later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 